Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. In the recent years, you've heard us, our rallying cries, we do two primary things. We are taught by the Word of God. We love the Word of God. And I would say to you today, if, if you've grown lax in your pursuit of God in Scripture, start loving the Word again. and Start eating it and drinking it like honey because it is the very words of God. And it's instructional and it leads and it builds up and it cuts and it's all the good stuff. It's literally God speaking. He gave us a book so we would know. We also pair that with a very other, uh, not the, another different idea, but it's out of this scriptures that we believe that we are to be led by the spirit of God. And so as you've gotten here today, it's kind of the joining of those two things. We are going to do communion because we believe, number one, God told us to do it in Scripture, and two, the Holy Spirit told an elder specifically, do it this way. So we're going to put communion smack in the middle. And I was told not to tell you I'm going to talk for 10 minutes, but I'm going to shoot to talk for 10 minutes. And then we're, gonna, it, we're literally going to set the room free to confess their sins, to ask for healing, to pray over one another, to go to an elder and have that elder and their spouse pray over you, to really take the body and the blood seriously. Um, but if I was to ask you, what's God's call on your life? What's the Spirit saying to you? And the reality is I can do that for me pretty easy, but it's a little harder to do that for a body. Meaning I, I can tell you, I know God's put things on my heart. I'll share some with you a little bit. Uh, so several years ago, uh, right at the end of COVID, I went on a little sabbatical and I had just gotten out of a season of just like crazy spiritual experiences. Felt like God, just every corner I turned around, I was like, God, you're cool. And then it was like nothing. And so I was like, well, I'll go fast and I'll go pray and maybe I'll read some spiritual books. Maybe that'll get them to tell me what I should be doing. You ever been in that moment? And so I'm there at this sabbatical and like nothing. I mean, I'm like, it's just like I'm reading scripture and I'm praying and I'm asking and I'm fasting and I'm like, God, I, it's just that season where, okay, Lord, I, I wanna do what you want me to do. So if you want me in ministry, great. But if you don't, okay. And if you want me to teach, great. But if you don't, okay. You ever have that moment of your life where you say, God, whatever you want, that's what I'll do which is a little different than normal Christianity in America a lot of days because we're like kind of working and trying to work away with God where we can give him enough, but we can still can control. And when I got there to this kind of retreat center, I'm feeling all that. Like I've been here 18 years. I've made some mistakes, a lot of them. Um, and I'm like, God, just tell me what to do. And I went to bed that night just like, fine, I'm going to go to sleep. I don't care anymore. Like, you ever been there with God? And then that night I had a dream. And I know when we talk about dreams, people get weird, but he does that in the Bible. Um, and in this dream, I yell to heaven, I'm a Bible guy. I say it just like that. Like real kind of proud, because over the years, I've gotten really comfortable being the teachy Bible guy. And I say to heaven, I'm a Bible guy. And then out of nowhere in the dream, I'm taken up to this heaven and Bible. And it's way bigger and way cooler than your like naked angel Bible that you have on your coffee table, the big one that grandma gave you. It's like a really big Bible. All right. And this Bible begins to open and then it's red. And as it's red, you get to watch whatever's being read and it's the life of Jesus. 
And in the life of Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but he like heals some people. So it's like they read about Jesus healing blind eyes. And I'm like watching this scene in this dream. And then I watch as Jesus begins to teach, like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And I'm like, oh, I can actually see him telling that to the crowd. And I just watch the life of Jesus. And I'm in awe of the Son of God healing and saving and sitting with sinners. And I'm like, Jesus, I love you. And it gets to the end and the Bible closes in the dream. And then over the dream, I hear this voice. I don't see a figure. It just says, are you a Bible guy? And in that moment, I went, no. I'm not a Bible guy because I know a lot of Bible, but I'm not living a lot of Bible. And so if you were to ask me, if we were to sit and you wanted to talk honest, I'm being honest with you. I'm trying to be open with you. God's provoking me because the last two weeks, that dream has just come up over and over again. Andrew, do you know what I called you to do? Lay hands on the sick and ask me to heal. You know how hard that gets? You ever pray for somebody and they don't get well? You actually pray for somebody and they die? You're like, maybe I got bad hands. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, you ever, you ever this calling of God on, the, on, on my life is like, don't pull back from that, actually lean into that more. So, but that's me. So I can tell you me. I know what the Spirit's saying to me. He's saying, don't be afraid of prophecy and don't be afraid of the gifts and don't be afraid to lay hands and don't be afraid to expect great things with faith. I feel that for me. And I, could, I can probably sit with one of you or two of you or a few of you, and if I listen to you long enough, we could probably discern what the Spirit is saying to you. Probably, maybe. But then on a higher level, what's God saying to this church? And if that language is odd to you, I would ask you actually to open a Bible up to Revelation chapter 2, verse 29. That, that phrase of, what is the Spirit saying to the church is going to be repeated quite a few times. And since I'm only trying to talk for 10 minutes, I'm only trying to talk for 10 minutes to set up the next month. This next month, um, I've labeled it the Lord's heart, whatever the Spirit says. And that's because... Uh, last year around, it was probably October, November, I was in that sound booth and I had just got out of a season of, I know how to write lesson plans, guys. I know how to write teaching plans. I can tell you how to organize thoughts in the Bible. And I sat there and I went, God, I know how to do this in my intellect. I don't know how to do this by the spirit. What do you want to teach cobblestone? And it was out of, like, it was just like, do this, teach this, do this, teach this, do this. And so then I presented that to the elders because we're a plurality, but I am over teaching. And then it kind of got organized. Everything we've done this whole year was because the Holy Spirit told us to teach this. And so a year ago, this month was planned out. And it was just, there's, there's just question marks in the teaching plan. So anybody that comes up here this month, they're being tasked with, what's the Spirit saying to this church? which that's harder. Like I said, I can do that for me and I might be able to do that for a couple of you. But if, you, if I was to ask you, what is God saying to us? And you're like, that's a weird thought. Well, in the book of Revelation chapter two, you're kind of at the beginning and a little bit of the end of God is writing letters by the spirit to churches. And I've always posed this question, what would it, what would it, how cool would it be to get a letter from God? Number one, we got one. Cool, okay? So I just want you to know. But like, if God was like, 
all, out of all the earth, he was like, cobblestone, I'm going to write you a letter. But the reality is God knows the ins and outs of cobblestone better than any man or any woman in this room. And so he starts to write these letters and he's calling things out. He's like, hey, I see that you're doing this good. But I also see that you're not too strong here. Oh, I love that you guys are doing this, but you guys have let Jezebel rule. I mean, like he's not holding back. So if you were to be honest with me, and I was to say, what is the Spirit saying to Cobblestone? What would you say? And I have that thought, and if this is a new thought, the Spirit speaking, I just want to show you Revelation chapter 2, verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now let's break that apart because we're Bible people. He says, he who has an ear, now, I don't think he's talking like physical. He who has an ear, let him hear. So there is a, a, an option to not have ears and not hear and to not actually even be listening or open or willing to be taught or to be talked to. And so the first step is he who has an ear, we have to be a church that has ears. And that requires humility. That requires Okay, God, we so want to be led by you. We're willing to orchestrate our services different. We're, or, I mean, we're willing to sit in an elder room and weep and ask you to move. We're willing to orchestrate everything differently. We want to hear you. He who has an ear. Jesus says similar language. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, therefore, of your sins. Because there were people that when Jesus, the son of God, shows up and says, repent, they go, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're not going to listen to him because they didn't have ears. They couldn't hear it. And so this thought is the thought of the month. What is the spirit speaking to this church? What is the Lord's heart for this place? And that, I don't know, you just need to know, is a terrifying thing and task for most pastors. Because if you give us a verse, we can do that. We can do that on our own intellect. I can tell you what the Bible says. But when we start talking about discerning what the Spirit's doing here, that's a hard, that's a hard work. That's a pray for the pastors that are going to be speaking this month. That's, okay, God, we're willing to be chastised, maybe. We're willing to listen. And so as I prayed, there was two verses that came to mind. And the first one is in Matthew 7, verse 13 you want to look it up, great. If you don't, it's going to be up there. And then Joshua 24. So in the Bible, you have Jesus, the Son of God. He's walking around. He's doing all his Jesus stuff. And he's just taught all the Beatitudes. And he's taught about building your life on the rock and not on sand so your house won't be shifting. He's taught all the beautiful Jesus teachings. And then he stops. And he begins to warn like, hey, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, if you don't have ears, this is what will happen. And he issues this warning. And if, as I was praying, this is what I feel for the church today, at least. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And as I prayed, I, I, I really actually in my mind saw this like these two diverging paths for the Christians in this room and in this church. So one is very wide. 
and a lot of people find it. This is Jesus's words. The path is wide and we have a culture right now that is losing its mind and going, everybody's going to make it to heaven. But that's not a Bible thought. That's a humanistic, naturalistic thought. And so Jesus is going, okay, enter through the narrow gate. And so we say, well, okay, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter who you sleep with. It doesn't matter. All on all this stuff, they're the same. They're not. There's a very wide path out there. And then Jesus is over here going, but there's a, a narrow path. There's a narrow way of Jesus, which will cost you, which will make you weird to the earth, which will have you praying when others aren't, which will have you serving when others aren't. There's a narrow way. And it's full of holiness and sacrifice and picking up crosses. And so it's like, church, choose. Because even American Christianity on some level, it's a broad path. It's you can follow Jesus and have everything you want. Follow Jesus and have safe kids, a white fence, a nice house, and all the luxuries of the earth. But that's not what you see when you read the Bible. And so as I, as I got ready, I was like, Lord, this is not a fun message, but think about it. Jesus is going, okay, it, it's not this big thing that gets wider. It's this, okay, everybody's invited, but it all narrows down to one thing, a door. And who is the door? Jesus Christ. We believe in the most exclusive, inclusive message on the planet. You can't get in any other way. There is no way to God except outside of Jesus Christ. Everybody can come though. So it's very narrow. It's not this great big wide thing. And I think it encompasses a lot of, like I, like I said, I, I literally picture paths in my head of, okay, do I want holiness? Like true holiness, set apart, consecratedness, where I'm going to watch my mouth and I'm going to watch what I watch and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to be a holy man because I serve a holy God or do I want the ways of the earth? And I'm not going to intertwine them. Do I, do I live a laid down life, a carry my own cross life, or do I just give God enough to appease him and still get what I want? Do, is it self or is it Christ? It, this makes me think of that second verse. And it's where I feel the most push of the Lord. And I actually had an elder come up after first service and say, that's the voice of God. So I feel pretty confirmed. But Joshua 24, 15, you want to head there? It's one of those famous like bookmark coffee cup verses. Uh, like if you go to a Berean Christian store, it's probably there. But Joshua has taken over for Moses and he's led the people of God to victory. They're in the land that God promised and God is now calling his people to himself. And Joshua kind of gives this like challenge to the people. And he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That last line is the famous one that gets put on bookmarks and coffee cups. As for me and my house, we, it's on a book somewhere in your house, probably. I don't know why I put like a hick accent on it. It can be a normal voice. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And do you see what he's doing? He's saying, all right, 
People of God, you're the covenanted people. He saved you. He got rid of the foreign nations. You're in the land. But if it's not desirable for you to serve God, go and serve the other gods of the nations. And then it's almost like Joshua gets that stake, stakes it in the ground and goes, but me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that changed Joshua's whole life. Changes. And that declaration is that declaration. God, you don't get part of me. You get all of me. Will cha- it's a stake in the ground. And that is the thing the Lord is, I think, speaking today. He doesn't want part of you. He died for all of you. And so some of us, we're holding back from God because we're afraid that if we give him everything, we'll somehow lose. But in the last season of my life, as I've given God everything, you know what I've found? That life is better, more full, that the kingdom of God breaks in. More people got saved when I God gave God everything. More people got healed. More kingdom, like just, just peace and suffering. The life that God promised happened when I gave him everything and didn't hold back. But when I was trying to play this game, and I've done it, guys, and I'm not mad at you because I've gone through seasons where I'm like, I know I'm supposed to give you everything, but I like having control over here. You ever been there? But God, if I were you, like, what is the Spirit saying? Give him everything. Stop holding on. Trust the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I, I, I almost hear it's decision time. It's time to be Joshua, men. Put the stake in the ground. Me and my house, we're serving the Lord, which will change where you spend your time, how you spend your money. It'll change your sex life. It'll change your prayer life. It'll change everything about you because you're going right now with all that you are, all of me. Yes, God. Some people call these consecrated yeses. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't think that much about my yes, but I do know that there's a biblical call to lay down your life that you might find it. In American Christianity, unfortunately, in a large population of it is like, don't worry about that laying down the life thing. No, worry about the laying down the life thing. And if we were to be honest, and, and I would say, is there some place in your heart that you're holding back from God? Because hear me, giving God everything has not equaled not a hard time sometimes. What I mean is God has called me and Anna, to homeschool our kids, which we said once, we're never going to do that because we don't want weird kids. Amen? I went to Moody Bible Institute. You could pick out them homeschoolers. So, but when God said do that, it's not like we've just been skipping. This is so fun. It's been like, God, this is hard. But you told us to do it, so we're doing it. It, when God was like, start this business, I was like, this will be fun. And now I'm just like tired and weeping all the time because I'm tired. And I'm like, it's not fun all the time, but God's in it. And so I'm, I, what is God calling you to do? And it won't be what he's calling me to do. It'll be different for everybody in here. But I'm asking you, what's the spirit saying? And let's do that because there's life in it. Not what is the American church doing? Not what do we want to do? What does God, you get whatever you want. What's that get you? And so as I prayed this morning, I was like, even the way we do communion came through. Okay, God, you get the church the way you want it. And we're aware that we're a little bit weird when it comes to this. 
Uh, I grew up in a church where they would do really long sermons, and then at the very end, they'd be like, oh, by the way, we're going to take communion, and then you'd leave. It was like a 30-second turnaround. But when you read what communion is, we want to give the tables, what we're going to call it, the table of the Lord, all the time it deserves. Which means if Jesus invited you to come and sit at a table with him and eat, how long are you staying at that table? Forever. A long time. I'm clinging on every word. Whatever he asks of me, yeah. When it's the good food of God, you ever just sat around a table with friends and eaten good food? Isn't it good? This is a way better table. And so when we look at this, even like I said, we were doing communion one way. One day we just were like, hey, let's just offer the elders to pray. And we found that first time we did communion this way, it was like two hours long. We didn't know what to do. We literally like, people are confessing sins they've never told anyone else. People are getting healed. People are getting touched. People are getting prophesied over. Like the ministry of God is happening because we gave God space. We said, yeah, you can have it. And so then we tried to do it again. It didn't work as well. And we almost went back to what we were doing. But then one of our elders, he came and he said, not only do I think we need to do this, I think if we don't, we're disobeying. And so what we're going to do, we're going to read some verses about communion and then I'm going to set you free. And when I say free, I mean real free. Not like half free, not like you better behave. I mean like if you want to leave as soon as I'm done, go home. If the kids are already getting restless, go home. But if you need to confess sins, confess it. If you need to sing to the Lord for the next hour, sing to the Lord for the next hour. If you need to get on your face, what, what you need to know is that this bread and this juice isn't magical, but it is a sacrament. On the night he was going to be betrayed, our Savior, Jesus Christ, gathers all his disciples. And it makes me cry every time I read it, so I'm not going to read it. But it basically says to them, I have longed to eat this meal with you. Which means Jesus wanted his friends at a table and he wanted to eat with them and he wanted to give them something and he starts this thing that we're still doing we're doing this because the bible tells us that jesus said do this when you get together and it's bread it's 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 not even the best bread it's just bread so it's not magical it won't save you so if you're not a christian you're not missing this you're missing jesus but this is just a reminder and he took bread, which represents his body. And when you eat it, you are declaring, I belong to Jesus Christ. It's the same thing with baptism, y'all. It's just water. You know that, right? But something spiritual happens when a human being gets in a thing of water and someone goes, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you into the death of Christ and I raise you to life in him forever. It's physical, but it's spiritual. Same thing with this. And then there's juice that represents his blood poured out for me, which by his blood and by his stripes, we are healed. And so I have great expectation today that as you come to the table, that God is going to meet with you. If you'll listen, if you have ears to hear. And so I want to read to you the scriptures, lay a little detail on you and then get out of the way. But in Luke 22, it says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. 
saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And every generation of Christians since that moment have been doing this thing. Sometimes well, sometimes bad. Even Acts 2.42 says this, they, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And I think that's probably the breaking of bread was them eating together, but also definitely communion. First Corinthians is going to tell us, Paul's going to give us some instruction in chapter 10 and 11, and he's going to say, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then again in chapter 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by eating this and drinking this, you're actually proclaiming something. You're like, I'm not yelling anything. You are. In the heavenlies, in the spiritual place, you are declaring that Jesus' death and resurrection paid for your salvation. So it is not a small thing. And so we're just going to take our time. As I start to pray here in a second, uh, elders and their wives or staffs and their spouses are going to come to the tables on the corner. And I know that makes some of us nervous, but they're there to hear you confess. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Well, the Bible is really clear that if we confess our sins, he's righteous and just to forgive them. And so repentance is a gift, guys. So if you've been struggling this week, you get to go, I've been struggling this week. And instead of being met with judgment, you're met with grace and forgiveness. So it's a gift, but you have to confess. And I would encourage you to do that to another person's face. And then be like, hey, will you pray for me? And let, let two elders or two, their spouse just bless you. Maybe even prophesy over you. We do that here. If you're like, man, I don't know if I want all that people stuff. There's two stations here. You can bring your family. You can come do it on your own. We even have one for you non-gluten likers. And so I would just ask, if you're not a gluten eater, do not put gluten bread in here because the gluten will get them. Okay? So this is just entirely gluten-free. We watched a brother, last time we do this, just take a big chunk of non-gluten bread and dip it all in here. And then we watched all the gluten people die. So we don't want that. We don't want that. We're going to take our time, though. Just like when we ended worship today at the feet of Jesus. So could you go back to that place, actually, um, to a place of prayer? And if you need to bow your heads, we're not going to rush. And at any point in time today, you don't even have to make a line. Like, I'm not worried about you getting through communion. I'm worried about you missing a connection point with Jesus. And so right Right at the feet of Jesus we go. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless you.